In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. We are taking today as Bible Sunday. We have three options for today, and we've chosen Bible Sunday. You would hope, uh, you can always hope, that every Sunday here would be Bible Sunday, at least at about this time. We are looking through the number of Bibles that are in our lost and found and wondering what we might deduce from that. <laughs> Indeed, sometimes all you get for hope at All Souls is a delayed gratification, which is a kind of glorified endurance. But we are talking of hope, and we're talking of the Bible, and we're talking of texts. I'm obliged to bring text to your um, attention because I am responsible for the text that is put in front of you as our order of service. I'm responsible for it being the second week in a row in which the collect from last week is in place of the summary law of the law this week, and I have to take sole responsibility for that. Proofreading is not one of my gifts, and yet I am in a calling in which careful attention to the details of texts is of the utmost importance. So I wear my incompetence once more with a, a great deal of chagrin. We're looking at the Bible as a text, a composite of texts as it is because the word means many books. And we're looking at the travail which we do because as Rene Girard says, the Bible itself is a text in travail as a study of that tension between endurance and encouragement with which we have read. There was a time in uh, our life in which uh, we opened our home to a, an optometrist from Sudan at the request of Dick Geezer. We, he stayed in our house for quite a period of time. Very gracious guest, he was a devout Muslim. And uh, he and I would have conversations sometimes in the evening about what Christianity was all about. Uh, he would listen very patiently and with acute, uh, uh, his acute intelligence. And at one point he said, well, just show me the Bible, would you? I just want to have a look at the Bible. He said, what version do you use? Do you use the Sir James version? <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, no, the, the King James is actually not the Bible. I said, and, you know, I went to the little study, as I did, and I said, you know, this is as close to the Bible as we have. These two texts, um, Greek New Testament, UBS 4, as it's called, 4th Revised Edition, uh, which has the most up-to-date, well, not anymore, the 5th was released, version of the Greek uh, text, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And then this one, which actually you open from the back, which is the BHS, the Biblica, Biblia Hebraica Stuttgartensia, which is the consummate expression of the work of scholars to produce a definitive Hebrew text from which all the translators in the world can work. This has also been replaced by the BHQ, which will be appearing any day, the Biblica, Biblia Hebraica Quinta, which means the fifth version of the same thing. Now, we looked at this book, and I'll get on with it soon. He was intrigued at the number of footnotes in the text. Um, and I explained that those were all variants on the text. 
but the scholars who'd assembled our definitive version had had literally thousands of manuscripts to choose from, and every time they made a choice, they will signal the other options and where you could go to get the manuscript that would give you those options. He became very perplexed. He said, you know, in Islam, we don't have this problem. The Bible is just the Bible. He's a little disingenuous, but he said, we don't have this problem. How do you decide which variant to use? I said, well, we actually, to tell you the truth, have to surrender that to, can, to people who can actually read these languages with far better ability than I can. And you've got to trust them. And we, in fact, work out of a translation. We've got to work out of the ESV here, because that is mandated by our community. And if we mess with that, we're not supposed to. So we actually put our reliance on an English version. He said, I don't understand, then how do you know that what you have is the Bible. I said, well, we believe that the original manuscripts of all the biblical books are inerrant and inspired. He said, how many of the original manuscripts do you have? I said, none of that were certain. He said, this is very interesting. I said, <laughs> I said all right. <laughs> But, you know, we're, it's, it's a thoughtful reasoning looking at the mass of data that we can with confidence assume that the text is fairly secure. But yes, at the end of the day, your decision as to what the text means is a matter of faith. It's a matter of simple faith, informed faith, but faith. Now, the one thing we have that helps us with our faith is that we work it out as a community of faith. So conversion leads to conversation, but it means we're committed to an endless conversation, if you like, which is very God-honoring about what actually the text says before we can even get to what the text means. And um, he accepted that as he really had no choice. <laughs> Delayed gratification, if you like, and endurance and encouragement. We're talking not just of faith, but of hope. The hope that on the other side, when we see with eyes that are given sight by the Holy Spirit, who is our ultimate interpreter of the text that the Spirit wrote, that we will see that we somehow followed what the text meant us to do, more or less, in the Spirit in which the Spirit meant it we will all find out. We're talking of hope then, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So maybe the two then, endurance and encouragement, are connected better than we thought. For hope depends upon endurance for it to be possible you can't have hope unless something is not right in your situation, or at least to provide the conditions in which hope is an option. We don't hope for what we've already got, as scripture itself says, and we don't hope unless that which we haven't got is something we want and hopefully need. Through endurance, the capacity to put up with suffering, to bear up under difficult circumstances, experiences of desolation, as Ignatius calls it, we are made recipients of consolation, encouragement. And that consolation comes with a promise, better times ahead. Persevere, stick with the text, 
So when Jesus delivers on a promise that's packed into the pages of Second Isaiah, that he is sent, and I quote, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, and that today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, he might have expected a hero's welcome. What we did not hear today, and what our text goes on to say, is that Jesus goes on to say that better things are coming. There is reason for hope, but not for any of those gathered in the synagogue on that day. You're in trouble, he's saying. The sense of entitlement that Jesus promises conjure dissolves into wrath with the disenfranchised mind that comes with his prophecies. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. He wasn't dealing with a textual problem. He said, you've got the texts. You know what the text says. You seem to have no idea what the text means. You don't understand what the text is pushing you to be, to become, or to do. You've got stuck, becalmed. The scriptures do indeed give encouragement then, but only to those who are suffering and know it. Indeed, they are, as has been said, uh, the texts are written to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. For us in this country, we do not sit in the same place as those occupants of an occupied land trying to keep their faith together under the heel of the Romans. We are both Romans and Christians at the same time in America, and that's a problem right there. Our sense of entitlement in this country is as massive as the national debt. We should prosper, we should enjoy the fruit of our labors, we should enjoy a good life. What's wrong with that? We worked for it, we got it coming to it. Jesus does not always bring us hope under those circumstances. Our only hope, and all we ask of Jesus, is that he will not disturb the status quo for those with sufficient status to enjoy, that's said. For such, there is no hope. However, as Jesus says, they, we, have already received our reward. Indeed, there is a sense of hysteria in the air these days, gentle wisps of it, like wood smoke curling up among the burning leaves, among those who fear that what they have will be taken away. Those who have nothing have nothing to fear and are better off, we would argue. But for those of us who are better off, we would argue, there is more to fear. Indeed, the better off we are, the more there is to lose. Yes, Jesus comes to give us offense. And we live in a time in which people are quick to take offense on every side of the conversation and to go on the offenses when offended. Quoting Psalm 69, required reading for those suffering unjustly, the apostle says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The insults that were heaped on you have been dumped on me as well, he's saying, and he's achieving a kind of solidarity, if you like, with his hearers, but also with his Lord. 
We live in an age in which the production and exchange of insults, the art of disparaging a person in a manner which may be totally unjustified, has reached new heights or lows. Reproach is effectively rather a lame word, or rather a lame choice for a word in both Greek and in Hebrew which is raw with pain and outrage. We fight here the tendency of the ESV as well, very English, which is to treat any verbal displays of emotion as signs of bad taste with an appropriate disdain. This is not a strength when facing the emotionally laden language of the Psalms. Paul throws his lot in here with one who has been dragged from glory to disgrace. And that will happen to him too, Paul says, soon enough. And that is the hope that he has. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, however, he says. A strange platform for harmony. He says, more literally, may he call you to that self-same attitude to one another, to be of one accord with Christ Jesus, so that with one voice you may give him glory. With one mind, by common consent, may you attain unanimity, he's saying, through the encouragement of the one to whom the scriptures point, who came down from the heights that he might lift us from the depths of despair. For in him and in him alone, we have hope of having all our different points of view reconciled in him and in his word. Let us think less of ourselves, Paul says, and think better of one another. A little humility would go a long way in today's world, especially in these truly troubled times in which the air we breathe is so saturated with fear, suspicion, and distrust. Let us seek less, he says, to ascribe motive to others, always nefarious motive, and imbue it with malice, more to see the hopes and dreams that inspired those with whom we disagree with charity. Well, we look forward here in years ahead to conduct our conversations on scripture at least with greater freedom and to share those perspectives in an open, vulnerable, and safe place on what it means and what scripture has meant to us and how it has given us encouragement and endurance and even hope, especially hope. And a little more focus on scripture is never something that we should seek to avoid. As citizens of heaven, we rest all our hopes, not just in the living word, Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and forever, but in the written words with which that word has been committed, entrusted to us, placed in our care. And careful handling befits the words with which the fabric of the word of life is woven, careful and caring. Though scripture speaks to each single one of us in the stillness of our own souls, it really makes us strong when we can engage with one another. Though our perspectives may not match, if it's scripture that is the thing that stands between us, not politics or political alliances, if it is scripture and readings of scripture that are what stand between us and divide us, they will just as surely draw us together, given the chance and the right attitude.
They must. It's when we turn away from God's word and its claim, its ultimate claim on our lives that we turn away from one another too and withdraw into our warring camps. These last six months have allowed us to value the commitment that we have made to one another to place God's inspired and revealed word in our midst and to examine that commitment honestly and with passion and with sensitivity and reverence for the word and for all of us as hearers of the word. We have taken all our hopes in the future of this community and seen that they all indeed are placed there on the anvil of this word, I'll use the metaphor one more time, waiting for the work to begin, not just of looking at it, saying how nice, but of beginning to hammer it out, pounding, then heating, then pounding again, until the iron, hard and brittle of our opinions has become the steel, strong and elastic of our convictions. Iron is cold and brittle, it shatters, when you hit it, steel is strong in tension, holding us together even as we try to pull apart, but it has to be hammered out. Steel, good for building bridges we can walk on, not for building walls that we can hide behind, hold up in our defensiveness, stuck fast to the position we last took and the, cow, the last cause we espoused back in the day when it all looked so much better than it looks today. Jesus wants better for us than that, and he can give it if we will let him. But as the collect says, that, these two words again, through patience, through endurance, and through encouragement, through the comfort of your holy word, may we embrace and forever hold fast the hope of everlasting life, the hope that in the life of the world to come beyond this struggle, there we will find harmony and learn to simply accept what harmony we can with good grace, hold our opinions a little more lightly, and listen a little more intently to what the other person has to say. For this life, that's our best hope. Of life, of real life, the life of the age to come, live now, fully though in part, not pulling us apart, but drawing us together closer and closer to him. Amen.